I should like to call your attention this morning to the words which we have already read from the Gospel according to St. Luke in chapter 12. The message really is to be found in the first 12 verses. Let me just remind you again of the beginning. In the meantime, when there were gathered together an innumerable multitude of people, insomuch that they trod one upon another, he began to say to his disciples, first of all, Beware ye of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. For there is nothing covered that shall not be revealed, neither hid that shall not be known. Therefore whatsoever ye have spoken in darkness shall be heard in the light, and that which ye have spoken in the ear in closets shall be proclaimed upon the housetops. And I say unto you, my friends, be not afraid of them that kill the body, and after that have no more that they can do. But I will forewarn you whom ye shall fear. Fear him which after he hath killed hath power to cast into hell. Yea, I say unto you, fear him. Now our Lord at this point, as you see, was sending out his uh, disciples to preach and to teach and to cast out devils. But before he sends them away, he addresses them in these words and in the words that follow. And obviously he did that because he felt that it was necessary that he should do so. He was aware of certain dangerous tendencies and possibilities in these men. So in order to safeguard them and to protect them and to forewarn them, he addresses them in this way. He knows that uh, without this help which he is giving them, they will undoubtedly become discouraged. Indeed, there were even worse and more dangerous possibilities confronting them than that. He knows that unless they have a clear understanding of the life into which he has called them and the life into which he is now sending them, that they may very well become guilty of almost denying him and the terrible consequences that follow that. So he gives them this instruction. He gives them this warning in order that he might prepare them for the future and the Christian life which they were now going to live in actual practice in again saying, and a sinful will. In other words, our Lord here gives a, a kind of a prescription to these people. Here he gives them an outline of the way in which they are to live, what they have to avoid, and what they have to remember. So that we can regard this paragraph, these first twelve verses in this twelfth chapter of Luke's Gospel, as a, a kind of outline given by our Lord himself of the way in which as Christian people we are to live. Now what he said to these disciples is as applicable today as it was then. And it seems to me that we can do nothing better as we start in a new year together and as we face the future than to look into this instruction which is here given so plainly and so clearly by our blessed Lord himself. 
the Christian life is meant to be a life of happiness. It's meant to be a life of confidence. It is meant to be a life of success. That is what our Lord is really saying to these men. But there are things which are always threatening them. There are forces which are always tending to make us unhappy. To shake our confidence. With the result that our life becomes a failure. And it is in order, therefore, that we may consider together these dangerous tendencies and see how to avoid them and to evade them and overcome them that I am directing your attention to this. I wonder how we feel and, as, and how we find ourselves as we examine ourselves at this particular moment. What has happened to us in the past in our Christian life and living? How do we feel at the moment? Are we full of confidence? Have we got assurance? Or are we troubled? Are we, un are we unhappy? As we look back, what do we see? Do we see failure or do we see success? Are we quite happy about ourselves and our witness and our Christian living? Those are the questions which inevitably must arise in our minds as we consider our Lord's teaching at this particular point. You see, he's telling these men, unless you're very careful, unless you listen to what I'm saying to you, you will find yourselves perhaps almost denying me and denying the very gospel that you claim to believe. And that'll make you terribly miserable. It'll make you unhappy. It'll spoil your influence, spoil your witness. Quite apart from the eternal consequences. You'll be unhappy. And you'll be fearful. Now that's the atmosphere which he is uh, depicting here. And he is, his concern is, of course, uh, to deliver them from that. We shouldn't be living a life of fear as Christians. Always full of foreboding. Always wondering what's going to happen to us. And allowing the world in which we live uh, to determine our type and our kind of life and the state of our soul and spirit. We are meant, as the Apostle Paul puts it, to be more than conquerors. We are meant to be men and women who show this element of triumph and of victory and of rejoicing and of assurance. Well, now then, let us consider what our Lord has got to say about all that. This is the way in which we face the future. The matter, as I see it, divides itself into two main sections. First of all, there are certain hindrances to the Christian life. There are two main hindrances, two things which, according to our Lord, above everything else, we've got to be very careful about as Christian people. Now, the two things go together, obviously. That's why he puts them together. They're different, and yet they are related, and the one tends to lead to the other. But our Lord gives them a separate and a particular treatment, and we must do exactly the same. What is the first danger which we always must avoid? Or putting it in another way, what is the chiefest enemy to a Christian life of confidence, assurance, happiness, and success? Well, according to our Lord, it is hypocrisy. Here he is, you see, sending these men out. 
Who would have imagined that he would have said a thing like this to them? Here they're being sent out upon their great mission, preaching, teaching, casting out devils. Here he is, he began to say unto his disciples, first of all, Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. No doubt our Lord had this very much in his mind, because as we are told in the previous chapter, he had a kind of altercation with the Pharisees. And there they displayed exactly this central weakness, and there he unmasked it and exposed it to them and denounced it. So now he turns to his followers and he says, Now, if you really want to be successful in this mission into which I'm sending you, if you really want to enjoy the life into which I've brought you at all costs, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Now, what is this? What is hypocrisy? We all tend to think that we know exactly what hypocrisy is. And yet surely that is half the trouble. That is why most people who spend a great deal of their time in denouncing hypocrites are themselves the chiefest of hypocrites. That's a part of the very condition. It isn't quite as simple as it appears to be. The normal definition given of a hypocrite is a man who is pretending to be something that he is not. Of course, that comes into it. But that isn't the whole of hypocrisy by any means. And in many ways, it is the least part of hypocrisy. Well, what is hypocrisy? Well, ultimately, hypocrisy is this. It is a desire to have the best of both worlds. Now, we've got, of course, the picture of the hypocrite, haven't we? A sort of Uriah Heap, a man who's putting on an act, a deliberate, conscious actor, an imposter, a deceiver. But that's not hypocrisy. There are very few people who are guilty of that. But there are large numbers of hypocrites. And as our Lord says, it is the most subtle temptation of all. The thing against which, therefore, he warns these disciples of his in a very special manner. It is, I say, in many ways, just that. It is this attitude towards religion, towards Christianity, which desires to have the best of both worlds. This world and the next. It is, as it were, the desire to be Christian and non-Christian at the same time, to have a foot in both camps. Or, if you like, we can define it like this. It is uh, the attitude and the point of view towards Christianity which believes in doing the minimum that is consistent with safety. That's hypocrisy. So let's get rid of this notion of this deliberate conscious actor. No, no, that isn't it at all. This is it. It's the man who uh, has decided, well, uh, because I don't want to go to hell, I want to go to heaven. But uh, now then I'm just going to do the minimum that is absolutely necessary, the minimum that is consistent with safety. There it is in its essence, but let's analyze it. Let's analyze its causes particularly. And as we analyze its causes we shall be incidentally taking a closer view of the thing itself. Fundamentally, of course, hypocrisy is a state of self-deception. The hypocrite is a man who not only deceives others, still more tragic is the fact that he deceives himself. 
our Lord is putting it in terms of the Pharisees, and the most outstanding thing about the Pharisee was this. Not so much that he pretended to be what he wasn't, but that he was very pleased with himself. Our Lord has put it in the well-known parable in the 18th chapter of this gospel according to St. Luke. The Pharisee in the temple went right forward and said, God, I thank thee that I am not as other men are, especially like this publican. I fast twice in the week. I give a tenth of my goods to the poor. Now that's the, that's the essence of hypocrisy. That's the thing that made the Pharisee the Pharisee. Self-satisfaction. Feeling that everything was all right. He was doing all that was necessary. Well, really, there was nothing to be troubled about. He makes no confession of sin. He doesn't ask for forgiveness. Why? Well, it isn't necessary. It isn't needed. Look what he's doing. Look what he is. That's, that's hypocrisy. That's the Pharisee. And you see, the very essence of this is, of course, self-satisfaction. Perfectly content with what he is and what he's doing. Not aware for a moment that there's anything wrong in his position. And yet, of course, our Lord says that this is a terrible state and so terrible that he has nothing to do with regard to it except to pronounce woes upon it. Woe unto you, lawyers, for ye have taken away the key of knowledge. And in the 23rd chapter of Matthew's Gospel, you'll find him piling woe upon woe upon the heads of these poor Pharisees. So he turns to his followers and he says, look here, whatever else you do or may not do, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Don't deceive yourselves, don't fool yourselves. Don't imagine that all is well when all is wrong. Well, now, what, what produces this? How, how does it become possible that we can, can deceive ourselves in this way about ourselves and about our whole condition? Well, it seems to me there are certain elements. Here is the first. It is primarily due, of course, to a lack of honesty. There's no question about that. A man who deceives others or who deceives himself is a man who is lacking in honesty. He's not honest with himself, apart from being honest with other people. The seat of the trouble, of course, is in the heart. The heart, says Jeremiah, is desperately wicked and deceitful. Who can know it? In other words, what our Lord was doing in a sense here to these men was to say this, look after your heart. Take care of your heart. Be watchful always about that deceitful heart that is in you. And the saints of the centuries have re-echoed our Lord's teaching. A saint cries out and says, I dare not trust my sweetest frame. His sweetest frame. My deceitful heart. Now, the trouble I say with the man who is a hypocrite is that there is this essential dishonesty in his heart at the very center of his life. And that is what leads to the self-deception. Uh, well, how does it work? Well, I think it works like this. The hypocrite is a man who does not expose the whole of himself to the truth. He doesn't open his heart to the truth. He's always shielding or hiding something. He comes to a point when he puts on the shutters, covers over. 
instead of allowing the truth to search him, to try him, and to examine him. Now, the very opposite of hypocrisy, of course, is that cry that comes out of the heart of the psalmist who says, Try me, search my reign. What he means is this, he says, I can't do it. I know that I can't do it. I think I can sometimes, but then I later discover that I haven't been doing it. I've been shielding something. I've been guarding something. I've been fundling something. I've said, yes, that's all open, but then there's something that I particularly like. I never allow the truth to come unto that. I always brush it aside. I always talk it away. That's the trouble with hypocrisy. There's a fundamental lack of openness and of honesty in the heart. It's a state in which a man protects himself against the word and indeed against his own better self. He's protecting himself against the truth. He says, I'm interested in truth. And then when he comes to the truth, when the truth begins to touch that most sensitive point, that thing that he's most fond of, he doesn't allow it to do so. And from that moment onward, he's a hypocrite. He's being deceitful. He says, I'm a believer in the truth. This is how my life is lived, in the light of the truth. But he hasn't allowed the truth to shine into that part of his life. There is the deception. And that is the thing against which our Lord therefore warns us above everything else. David understood it. Thou, he says, desirest truth in the inward part. Everything is to be open. Nothing must be kept back. If I, says the psalmist again, if I conceal iniquity in my heart, or if I hide iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. This is the first step. A fundamental lack of honesty in the heart. Or then we can put it like this, because that in turn leads to this, you see. Hypocrisy is due to a lack of clear thinking. The hypocrite is a man who uses phrases, but he doesn't think about the phrases which he's using. He can be very glib. He knows all the phrases. He's got it from beginning to end, and he uses them. He talks about them. But you can almost tell by the very way in which he uses the phrases that he's never really thought them out. He's never thought them through. He hasn't really stopped to consider what they mean. What do we mean when we say that we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ? What's the content of that? Well, you see, the moment you really analyze that, you find it involves the whole of Christian doctrine and the whole of your life. But people say, oh, I believe in the Lord. I always believed in God. But what is it, what you mean by believing in God and believing in Christ? Now, the hypocrite is a man, he doesn't think them out. He's content to use the phrases. And he feels that as long as he uses the phrases, that all is well. Wasn't that the whole trouble with the Pharisees? They never worked things out. They never drew conclusions from their own statements. They never saw the implications of what they professed to believe. And so our Lord instructed them. That's what he does in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 5. You have heard that it has been said by them of old time. And of course you believe that. Thou shalt not commit murder. But wait a minute, he says, what does that really mean? Does murder mean only that you literally kill a man in a physical sense? 
He says, no, that's only one aspect of it. There are other things, calling your brother a fool, saying raka, and so on. And so he takes up every one of them. But you see, the, the, the hypocrite never does that. The hypocrite says, I've never committed murder. I'm all right. I've never committed the act of adultery. I'm all right. No, you're not, says Christ. Think, men. Get at the spirit of the thing. Work it out. What is the intention of God's commandment? Think. Draw the conclusions. Work out the implications. The hypocrite never does that. He's kept all the commandments. Nothing wrong with him. He's unlike this publican. He's got the phrases. He knows how to talk. He knows all about it, as it were. But the man, I say, is guilty of a fundamental lack of clear thinking. He is a man who has never drawn the conclusions of his own profession. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy, says Christ. There is nothing more dangerous to the soul. And then the last point I would make about it is this. It's in a sense another way of saying what I've just been saying. It's a lack of thinking. I say, all right, let's put it like this. It's a lack of application. It is a failure to apply the truth to the whole of one's life. Now look at it like this. There are three main types of hypocrite. There is the intellectual hypocrite. There is the emotional hypocrite. And there is the practical hypocrite. And each one is as much of a hypocrite as the other. They never recognize that, of course. Each one of them denounces the others. And they never see that in doing that they are betraying their own hypocrisy. What do you mean, says someone? Well, I mean this. Here is the intellectual hypocrite. He is the man who is quite content as long as he has an intellectual knowledge and awareness and apprehension of the truth. Reads his Bible, reads books on the Bible, studies theology perhaps, well versed in the doctrines. He's got it all. He's got the system. It's complete in his mind. And he stops at that. Not concerned about his heart at all. Never thinks of that. He believes in this almighty God. He never takes the trouble to ask himself, do I know what it is to be humbled and prostrated in the presence of that God? Uh, he says, I believe in Christ. Of course, I believe that Christ has died for my sins. I believe that. Then he never stops and asks himself, well then, do I love him? Do I say love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all, and must have it? Never stops to do that. Doesn't worry about his behavior, practice. No, no. To be Christian means to understand the truth, to have the doctrine in your head, to be all clear about this. And he stops at that. That's to be an intellectual hypocrite. Then there is this emotional hypocrite. And here's this kind of person. This person says, of course, I, uh, <laughs> I don't know anything about doctrine. And he says it in such a way that you know that he's sneering at people who do know something about doctrine. He doesn't want to know about doctrine. Oh, no, 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 I'm not that sort of man. Well, what is this man's position? Oh, well, this man has had an experience. He's had a vision or something. Or he's had some strange feeling like electricity going through his body. Or he finds himself weeping at certain times in singing certain hymns or something like that. Or when he hears an affecting story. As long as he can still cry, well, he feels he's all right. He's still a Christian. He says, you know, I, I'm not everything perhaps a man ought to be. I, I wouldn't like to say that I... 
I read my Bible as I ought, and uh, I wouldn't like to say that I'm doing all that I should be, but, you know, I'm still sensitive to the truth. And he feels that that puts him right. He's only interested in his feelings. His mind and understanding don't come in. Practical application in daily living doesn't come in at all. But he's persuading himself that he's all right with God and that he's a true Christian because of certain emotional reactions. That's the emotional hypocrite. And then there is this third type, the man who's a hypocrite in the realm of the will, what I've called the practical hypocrite. Here is the modern man, you see. Oh, not interested in theology, doctrine, nonsense. And these emotionalists, these people with their sub stuff. Christianity, what is it? Well, keeping your word, honoring your bond, being a straight and an upright fellow. Moral and good and reliable, that's all. And, of course, he denounces these people who take part in prayer meetings and these people who are always talking about their knowledge and these people who seem to be so emotional. Hypocrites, he says. Look at them. I never make a profession like that, he says. But you hear it in the undertone, don't you? I never make a great profession. I never claim to be very much. But he's saying in the meantime, but, of course, I'm a wonderful man in action and in practice. Look at the life I'm living. He's the typical Pharisee, you see. I fast twice in the week. I give a tenth of my goods. Look at a wonderful man I am. I don't need any forgiveness. I'm so upright. Now, he never imagines that he's a hypocrite. But he's very unhappy about these other people who make professions, as he says, and who stand forward and who do this and that. No, no, he's not a hypocrite. But every one of them is a hypocrite. You see, the essence of hypocrisy is just this that we confine the Christian truth and our relationship to God and the Lord Jesus Christ to just one part of our life. That is the whole trouble with the Pharisee. That is the essence of hypocrisy. They were putting limits. They were stopping it at given points. As long as it did what they thought it should do, all was well. They wouldn't allow it to search them. They didn't allow it like a mighty searchlight to examine the depths and vitals of their minds and hearts and the fundamentals of their being. No, no, they protected themselves. They put a case around themselves. They satisfied themselves and themselves alone. Isn't that the very thing the Apostle Paul later says about the Pharisees especially, and indeed the whole nation of the Jews? They going about to establish their own righteousness have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. My dear friends, our Lord warns us above everything else to beware of this. What a terrible, subtle danger it is. I make no apology, therefore, for asking a few plain questions this first Sunday morning of a new year. You say you've got the doctrine. All right, I believe you. You can have it. But what about your heart? Do you really love God? With all your heart and mind and soul and strength, do you love the Lord Jesus Christ? You say you believe this and that. I ask you, the thing you've got to answer is this. Is your heart moved? Is your heart warmed? Does your heart go out to him? Are you constrained by his love? If you really believe, you must. Peter puts it like this. Whom having not seen, you love in whom, though now you see him not yet believing, you rejoice with a joy unspeakable and full of glory. Do you? And what of your daily life? 
Is it governed by God and by the Lord Jesus Christ? Is it being worked out in practice? What's the value of a sterile knowledge if it doesn't affect the heart and the will? And so the questions come to others, you who claim to have had experiences. Do you love the truth? Are you studying it? Are you trying to get to know it more and more, or are you content to be a babe? Are you exactly the same now as you were 20 or 50 years ago, in knowledge and in understanding? Grow in grace and in the knowledge of the Lord, says the Bible. In understanding, be men. You have no right to shut out the intellect and the will and say it's only a matter of the heart. And likewise, you practical men and women, what do you know of this truth? Is your knowledge increasing? Is your heart being more and more melted and broken and moved and filled by the love of God? The hypocrite is a person who keeps God and the Lord Jesus Christ and the blessed truth mediated by the Holy Spirit in a compartment or a section of his life and shuts them out to the rest. That's the essence of hypocrisy. That is the first and the chiefest thing against which our Lord warns us. The second thing, of course, comes out of it, and it is the fear of men. I say unto you, my friends, be not afraid of them that kill the body, and after that have no more that they can do. But I will forewarn you whom ye shall fear. Fear him which after he hath killed, hath power to cast into hell. Yea, I say unto you, fear him. What a potent cause of failure is this fear. Fear of men. Fear of men. Look here, says our Lord to these people, don't go out in the fear of men. If you do, you're doomed. You're done for. Your witness is paralyzed before you've started. You're crippled before you've begun. Don't fear men. I know there's a danger, there's a tendency. How do we fear them? Well, we tend to fear their opinions, don't we? This sophisticated age in which we live, with all the instruction and the clever talk and the books and the brains and the understanding and the wisdom, what they say? Do you still believe that book called the Bible? Do you still say that's the word of God? Do you still say that's divinely inspired, my dear sir? They say you're a hundred years after the time at least. You're an anachronism. All this is intellectual, intellectually demoted. They say no man of knowledge, learning, science, any luck. And we don't like that. We are made to feel that we are fools, that we are ignoramuses, that we don't know, we don't understand. We don't like this censoriousness of men. We don't like this way in which they seem to pity us and to despise us in an intellectual sense. Afraid of people's opinions. In certain circles. Afraid, perhaps, that they may discover that you're a Christian, that you're a member of a church, and that you take these things rather seriously. You try to hide it. You try to be one of them and put on an... That's hypocrisy, of course. And it's hypocrisy that is produced by the fear of men. You're pretending to be one of them and you don't belong to them. That is as much hypocrisy as the man who pretends to be so much better than he is in a prayer meeting or in a church. It's hypocrisy in both cases. Our Lord deals with both here. Not only are we afraid of their opinions, we're afraid of their actions. 
We are afraid that they may harm us. Harm our career, harm us in our profession, harm us financially, harm us in a material sense. Afraid perhaps that they may even conspire against us and that eventually we may even be put to death. What if these other powers are going to come into this land? What if communism comes? Hadn't I better be careful now? I hear that they keep a record of people's names, and the more outspoken a man is, the more likely he is to suffer when they come. This is not imagination. These things have been happening, you know, in this present century. They happened in Germany, they're happening in Russia, China, and in many another country today. And in a sense, it's happening in this country. Are we governed by these things? The fear of men, the fear of what men may do to us, in any sense, what he may think, his laughter, his derision, his sarcasm. The good opinion of other people in the office, in the room, in the profession, in the shop, in the works. The society in which we turn. These are the things, says our Lord, which you have to be wary of. Because all that leads to a tendency to compromise. It leads to a tendency to be ashamed of the gospel. To be ashamed of Christ and your relationship to him. It means that you're putting the opinion of these people before the opinion of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. You're saving yourself. You're saving your own skin at the expense of the greatest and the most glorious thing in the world. Well, now, those are the things against which our Lord warned these disciples as he sent them out. Because, you see, a man who's in that position is a man who's living a life of fear. It's a life of uncertainty and it's an absolute failure. He's fooling himself. He thinks that he's somehow or another impressing others, but he isn't. Nobody respects the hypocrite. And the hypocrite is always eventually found out. Nobody likes a man who's trying to be two things at the same time. He's a man to be despised. The world doesn't like a man like that. Neither does the church. He's a failure. He's miserable. He's unhappy. Because he lacks this fundamental honesty and integrity... Because he's not true in the center of his life, in his heart. He's not upright. He's not straight. But there is something that's even worse about him. He's a fool. And that brings me to the second matter. And I merely give you my headings this morning. How are we to overcome these dangerous tendencies? And our Lord gives the full answer in this one paragraph alone. The first thing, of course, is the need of utter, absolute honesty and sincerity and truth with ourselves, with the truth, with God and with the Lord Jesus Christ and with men. There is no hope in the Christian life apart from honesty. You read the life of any saint that's ever trod this earth and you'll find that his greatest characteristic has been his honesty and his integrity. Then people come and say, why can't I get this experience? Why doesn't this happen to me? And so on. And the answer is, of course, that you're dishonest. We can't have God's blessings on our own terms. You can't strike a bargain with God. There is no compromise in the spiritual realm. Well, what have we got to do? Well, here is our Lord's way of putting it. First, Realize the truth about men. 
Be not afraid of them that kill the body, and after that have no more that they can do. Here you are, he says, quaking in the fear of men. But wait a moment, think. Who are these men? What is the value of their opinions? Cease from men whose breath is in his nostrils. Read again that 51st chapter of Isaiah a portion of which we read at the beginning. You see, the warning had to be given in those days, even as our Lord had to give it, and even as we have to give it now. Look at the men who you're afraid of. These people whose opinions that you so admire, and you're afraid that they're going to criticize you. These people that make you compromise your loyalty to the truth. But look at them. Who are they? Why should we pay the slightest attention to their opinion? Look at their ignorance. What do they know? These learned people on the brains trust and others. What do they know about life? What do they know about death? What do they know about eternity? What do they know about God? Yet let me ask a more practical question. What do they know about living? What do they know about morality? You see, that is the question. They're ignorant. They're arrogant. And don't be frightened by their opinions, my dear friend. You'll find that they change like the weathercock. There were many Christians a hundred years ago who began to quake because of Charles Darwin's origin of species. Ah, this is science. We must be careful. We must modify our Bible. We must modify what we say. But you know there are large numbers of scientists today who don't believe at all what Charles Darwin taught. They say that his theory of natural selection is utterly discredited. Buy a copy of Dent's latest edition of The Origin of Species and read the introduction by Professor Thompson and you'll find it is a denunciation of Darwin's theory. Why do you pay such attention to these people? They say this today, they'll be saying something else tomorrow. Truth, they say, is always moving. Well, why pay any attention to what they say? It is ignorant, it is arrogant, it is changeable, and above all, it is sinful. But not only that, why don't you realize that finally they have no power to harm you? All that they can do is temporary. They can perhaps kill the body, but after that they have nothing that they can do. They are capable of making us Unhappy temporarily, they're capable finally perhaps even of killing the body, but thank God they can do no more. They can't touch the soul. They can't touch the spirit. They can't touch that which is vital. These people at whom you tremble, my dear friend, they'll be dead quite soon. They'll be rotting in a grave. Why do you pay such attention to them? Why pay such attention to men whose breath is in his nostrils? Don't fear men, says our Lord. Don't let your soul's eternal destiny be influenced by these people. Who are they? What are they? These people that you're so afraid of and will make you dissimulate and hide what you really are. What have they got after all? Examine their knowledge, their minds, their understanding. Examine their lives, their morality, their home life, their married life. Who are they? Pay no longer any attention to them, says Christ. Learn the truth about men. And then add to that the truth about God. I will forewarn you whom ye shall fear. Fear him which after he hath killed hath power to cast into hell. Yea, I say unto you, fear him. 
What a fool the hypocrite is. He congratulates himself that he's shielding that darling sin against the truth of God. Man alive, God sees that. All things are naked and open unto the eyes of him with whom we have to do. You are they, said Christ to the Pharisees, that justify yourselves before men, but God seeth the heart. And that which is highly esteemed amongst men is abomination in the sight of God. What a fool a man is. What fools we all are. We think we are clever. But God sees it all. He records it all. And we'll all stand before him. And he is the judge eternal. And he has power not only to kill, but to cast into hell. Men at the very best can only kill your body, you know. And that's an action in time alone. It doesn't touch your eternal destiny. But our eternal destiny is in the hands of God. He knows all. He sees all. He remembers all. He will judge all. And it is an eternal judgment. What a fool the hypocrite is. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Realize the truth about God and that you're in his hands. But don't stop at that. Realize the wonderful nature of the Christian life. Listen to this. What are you afraid of? Are not five sparrows sold for two farthings, and not one of them is forgotten before God? But even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. What's it matter what men may think of you or what men may do to you or what the world may do to you while you're in the hands of such a God? He's numbered the very hairs of your head. My dear friend, we none of us know what is going to happen to us in 1960. Does it matter? Does it matter at all? The only thing that matters is this, that I am in the hands of God and that he has numbered the very hairs of my head, that nothing can happen to me apart from God, that all things work together for good to them that love God. I don't want to see the future. I don't want to know it. All I want to know is this, that I'm there in God's hands, come what may. Neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's enough. I don't want anything else. Let men think what they like. Let them do what they like. This is the thing that matters. This is eternal. Then think of the intercession of Jesus Christ. Whosoever shall confess me before men, him shall the Son of Man also confess before the angels of God. What a wonderful thing that Christ shall tell them about me. What's it matter what men say while angels are applauding and are interested in me? But you say life may put you in very difficult and trying places. It's all right. When they bring you unto the synagogues and unto the magistrates and powers, take no thought how or what thing ye shall answer or what ye shall say, for the Holy Ghost shall teach you in the same hour what ye ought to say. That's it. Don't be a fool. 
Don't be a hypocrite because you can't fool God. You can fool yourself, you can fool men, but never God. And Christ says, if you deny me, I'll deny you. But why even have a desire to do so? Why be influenced at all by men and women who are round and about us, whose breath is in their nostrils, and who are so limited and passing? While God is my Father and loves me, and has numbered the very hairs of my head, and Christ is my great high priest and intercessor, my advocate with God, and while the Holy Spirit is in me, teaching me, enlightening me, giving me words to speak and instruction, and leading me ever onwards, sanctifying me, because he is preparing me for the great day which is coming. When Christ shall come and receive me unto himself. And we shall enter into the joy of the Lord. Into the many mansions which he has been building and preparing for us. And we shall spend our eternity. In the presence of the glory of God. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees which is hypocrisy. Open your heart to the truth. Be honest with God and with yourself, and you will have nothing else to fear, nothing at all. Amen.